Good morning, Trinity family. My name is Chris McDaniel, the senior pastor here at Trinity, and welcome to our special live stream service here on this Pentecost Sunday. We had planned to release our recorded services uh, as we have been doing for the last number of months, but the events of the last couple of days, in our view, have warranted a pivot to this platform. So thank you for joining us. The murder of George Floyd happening on the heels of the murder of Ahmaud Arbery has pushed our country and our city to a place of devastation and unrest. Y'all, we're living in a very volatile moment. And I think the stress caused by the pandemic and then the compounded reality of us all witnessing crystal clear instances of tragic and brutal racial violence have resulted in civil unrest. Our country's divided and we don't know what to do about it. The Christian church seems divided and we don't know what to do or say about that either. And there's no doubt that even among us here at Trinity in this family that we all maybe experience divisions here and there on how we even think about the things that we've witnessed over the last number of days. It doesn't feel appropriate or helpful for us as a church to do business as usual. And so what we've done over the last couple of days is we have stepped back as a leadership team. We've engaged in lament. I've shed more tears in the last two days than I have in a very long while. I believe that God's inviting us to notice something. Many of us probably tuned in on Friday and watched the demonstrations in Atlanta devolve into violence and rioting. This city is our home. I was born and raised in this city and I love Atlanta with all my heart and that heart is broken and I'm sure that's true for many of us. In the video statement that we released as a church on Thursday, I said that the chaos, that the riotous acts did not begin in Memphis or in Minneapolis, but they began on the asphalt in that particular part of Minneapolis when a police officer put his knee on the back of the neck of an unarmed black man and took the life out of him. At the time of my statement, unrest had not sprung up as it did later on in the week. Places like Atlanta, our own city, Washington, New York, and elsewhere. And it's our view that what's happened in our country and specifically in our own city is a manifestation of a great deal of pent up anxiety, pent up grief, and anger. And if you've been a part of this church, you've heard me say this numerous times. Anger, my friends, is a guardian for sadness. When we see anger, what we're really seeing is a manifestation of sadness and hurt. And I would say that especially when the anger that is expressed comes out in a volatile or an imperfect manner, if you will, what I cannot wrap my head around as a Christian, as a, as a pastor, is when we pass judgment on people for imperfectly expressing their anger, like somehow we would expect them to say it or articulate it in just the right way and just the easiest way for those who are not angry to hear it. We treat people in unhelpful ways when we say, 
Express your anger, but do it perfectly. Do it for me so that it feels easy to hear. We should not do such a thing. We should not speak in such a way to people. When we judge wounded and hurting people for not expressing their anger in a measured and perfect manner, not only do we fail to hear their hurt, not only do we minimize their pain, it's my conviction that we actually engage in violence against them when we do such a thing. I believe that right now, more than anything else, Christians and non-Christians alike, we all are being invited to listen to the sadness that lives under the anger. It's time that we had ears to hear the pain that's experienced and has been experienced since before time by black Americans. I believe that some of the deepest sadness, the expression of the sadness that we're witnessing right now is over the fact that racism is not new. It's not even somehow worse than it was in days gone by. From what I hear from my black friends, it's always been painful and difficult to be black in America. And it's to the shame of white people like me that we've not seen this or acknowledged it to the extent that we could have or should have or that's true. I've never had to teach my son who's 16 years old to put his hands on the steering wheel if he were pulled over by a police officer. It never occurred to me. And yet my black friends tell me that that is a normal rite of passage for young black men in this country. Y'all acts of violence are not new. They're simply being filmed. And that's what's happened for many of us because we all know that when you see something with your own eyes, it somehow makes it more real. I remember a number of years ago hearing stories of um, domestic violence with athletes, but I remember seeing a very particular video of an athlete, a football player punching his girlfriend and the, the act of violence was caught on a closed caption camera outside of an elevator. And somehow in that moment, the violence that I had heard about or read about became more real because I saw it with my own eyes. That's what's happened for many of us in the United States and specifically in Atlanta in recent days. Watching a man shoot an unarmed Ahmaud Arbery in the stomach, watching a police officer press his knee onto the back of the neck of an unarmed George Floyd as people, including Floyd himself, begged him to stop. This somehow made it more real to us. But there's a challenge with that. There's actually a problem with that. We in the Christian family, we who go to Trinity, we who call on Jesus and name his name, we should be willing to recognize injustices before we see them with our own eyes. I would say that seeing it with your own eyes makes you a late adopter and we're guilty of that. I believe the call of God on us is to be a prophetic witness to, as Jesus said, have ears to hear and eyes to see. Jesus himself, when he spoke of belief in, him, in his own self, um, speaking to people like you, he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And he was speaking about faith. But I think there's something in there for you and for me. Am I willing to believe that things are true even when I don't have physical, tangible evidence in front of me? Even if I hadn't seen the video, would I believe it? I believe that God would call you and me to wake up and to open up our eyes, to not gloss over, to not minimize injustice and darkness that's all around us, that we wouldn't have to see it to believe. But now the cat's out of the bag. You can't unsee what you've seen. 
And for many of us, it's jarred us to a place of feeling awake, feeling alert to things that maybe we would have wanted to distance ourselves from in days gone by. I believe that now is the time for you and for me to refuse to distance ourselves from the hurts that are manifesting in the world around us. Now is the time for us to stand up and to stand with our black friends, men and women in the black community in Atlanta and further afield. And it's also time for us to stand up against racial violence. But y'all, we can't fix this. That's actually part of the problem. When white people like me see something and then my immediate instinct is to get to work, to snap into action, to solve a problem, it actually makes things continue on as they have. It actually reveals something about white supremacy and privilege that we think we can fix a problem, solve a problem through a post on social media or signing a letter or stepping up in some activistic way. And y'all, there are letters to sign and press conferences to attend. There is work to be done. But this is deeper than that. The invitation to you and to me, I think is deeper than just solving a problem because what we're seeing around us is not a problem, it's a deep injury. George Floyd did not have a problem as his life was being taken from him. He was suffering a remarkable and traumatic injury. And I believe that that is symptomatic of what's going on in the soul of America, including in my soul and yours. This is not a problem to fix. This is an injury to tend to. So how will we do that? I believe the first invitation for you and for me is to allow the grief and the pain of the nation and of the black community to come to me that I would invite it and welcome it rather than distance myself from it. We have to let the pain teach us something. The Christian church must allow the hurt to tell us something. And until we're taught, anything we do is going to feel hollow and tinny. St. Paul in one of his letters in the New Testament speaks of the family of God as a body and he speaks of this body and he reminds us when he speaks of the body of our interconnectedness that, that toes and eyes belong together, that they're, they're different in some way and yet they're integrated because they belong together. They're a part of one whole. When one part hurts, all parts hurt. When one part, Paul says, rejoices, all parts would rejoice. See, the important thing here is that um, parts that seem disconnected are not in fact disconnected. We have to remember this. I believe that we have to actually hear that we're a part of a larger story, an American story, a Christian story, and that we belong together and we have to move toward one another to listen to one another. And if we don't allow the pain of this moment to come to us, if it's like a storm that flares up and then passes, we're gonna miss the, the mark, we're gonna miss the boat. I believe that we have two temptations. We'll err if we're not careful in two directions. On one side, we'll get busy. We'll try to solve a problem. And on the other side, maybe we'll ignore and distance ourselves from the hurt and just try to move past it. And I believe that essentially, if we move in either of those two directions, we will miss the mark. And you know, sin literally means to miss the mark. We'll sin if we move in the wrong direction. So 
what should we do then? If we're not to fix this, if we can't fix it, what, what do we do as Christians? It's my conviction that while we cannot and should not rush to fix or to ignore, we can and we must move toward the hurt and the confusion and we must learn to listen. Specifically, I'm speaking to my white friends. We have to learn to listen. We must learn and be brave enough to receive painful gifts, to receive an awareness that things are not as they should be. And that's something we can do. We can notice hurt that we don't quite understand. And I wanna make it very clear, you don't have to understand a thing or a person to move toward a thing or a person. And the truth of the matter is, if you are white and privileged like I am, you will never understand truly the depth of the pain and the hurt that came spilling out in Atlanta's streets on Friday night and all over our country. I can't claim to understand it, but what I can do is move toward it. I can humanize that pain and learn from it and be taught by it. But here's the thing, when we move toward things that are hurtful and confusing, it's unsettling to our souls. And this is one of the reasons why we either wanna fix a problem or ignore a problem, because we don't like to be unsettled we don't like that, that churning feeling in our guts. And so what we do is we either become quick activists or we become people who pretend that things are not as they are. Bearing the pain is the biggest and maybe the first part of the invitation that God has for each and every one of us. On Friday night, as I sat with my wife and my children and I watched fires burn and angry crowds gather just three miles from my house, and this house of God, I felt the pent up pain and anger, not just in that particular crowd, but the pain and anger that lives in the soul of a nation. Guys, we can't miss this. We must not minimize this. We have to look at what's happening and ask questions about what it all means. How should we respond in our souls when we see things that unsettle us and make us feel uncomfortable? Your response should not be limited to Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. It should not be limited to a political statement or stand. Your response initially and mine has to be to notice, to welcome thoughts and feelings that will likely feel and do likely feel very uncomfortable. I was so deeply moved on Friday night by Keisha Lance Bottoms, our mayor, God bless her, and by Killer Mike and T.I., those three people particularly, and there were others, but those three people, they advocated for the soul of a city that I love and I know you love. They spoke on behalf of our city. And I wanna say here, I am honored to be a resident of a city that has such passionate advocates as these. They and others reminded us that the unrest that we witnessed on Friday night did not just come from nowhere. See, that's one of the big lies that we believe to distance ourselves is that unrest and violence just comes from nowhere or it comes from just a few troublemakers. Pain, when it manifests, always comes from somewhere. Pain in your life always comes from somewhere. And the pain that we saw in Atlanta came from somewhere. We are a city 
with deep fault lines. We're a city divided, black and white, with deep hurt and pain that goes all the way back. And I pray that God would help us and that he would begin a process of healing. I love this city. I love Atlanta. I was born here, raised here. I've raised my children in the city. And yet I hate the fact that where I live on the west side, just a mile or two from here, it just up the road from my neighborhood, right by the train tracks in the heart of what is now the bustling west side, it was there that a giant slave market existed in the 1800s. Men and women were brought into our city on that railroad line and sold off and lost their names and their dignity. And I just wanna say to you, if you look at the narrative of the scripture, and then you look at our current reality, it would strongly suggest that there is blood in our soil. We have blood, we white people, we have blood on our hands. And I believe that that blood cried out to you and to me on Friday night. And when blood cries out, when blood says something to you, don't judge its tone and tenor. Stop and listen to it. What is that blood trying to say to you and to me? Listen to what it's saying. I believe that that is the invitation from the Holy Spirit. It's not that we would solve it or fix it. It's that we would actually listen. What does it mean? What do thousands of people gathered in demonstration that devolved into writing, what does it mean? Keisha Lance Bottoms reminded us that our city is home to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I want to help you hear what happened on Friday by listening to what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says about Friday night. He says, rioting is the language of the unheard. Riot is the language of the unheard. And riots are painful and messy, but so is being unheard. I believe that we have to stop and listen. John F. Kennedy said, those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. I believe that one of the invitations in front of you and me is to make space for peaceful revolution, to figure out how we would join that work. We have to be led by our black friends in this regard. And if we're gonna be led, we have to listen and move toward the conversation. I wanna to read to you a quote from Brian Stevenson. He's the author of uh, the book, Just Mercy, and there's a film of the same name. And I would commend both of those to you if you've not read or watched that story. This is what Stevenson says, get proximate to those who are suffering. And no matter where you go, if you find ways to get past the barriers that exclude those who are disfavored and you get proximate, you will discover something transformative. There is power, Stevenson says, in proximity. I believe the first step regarding proximity is to learn how to listen, to hear what the blood is saying to us as it cries out from the ground. Noticing that there's pain being expressed is a move toward proximity. Nicholas Waldersdorf in his book, A Lament for a Son, he was writing about the death of his child, his teenage son. He said this of grief. He said, sit next to me on my morning bench. If you are over there, you're no help to me. 
And I believe that one of the calls of us in the church, a predominantly white church, is to listen and find out how we can move toward to listen even more. What does it mean to learn? What does it mean to hear? What does it mean to welcome things that are uncomfortable for us? Today is Pentecost Sunday. Today is meant to be a day of celebration. It's meant to be a day where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. And in what would have been our gospel lesson, a sermon that I had preached and recorded, it was gonna be broadcast to our church. Jesus prays for three things as he prays for Christians like you and me. And I think there's powerful relevance here. He prays that we would be protected in the midst of trouble and difficulty. All of God's children, including you, including me, including the black church, black Americans, we need protection right now. We have an enemy of our souls who would seek to undermine us as the family of God and Jesus prays for protection. Number two, Jesus prays that we would live well and finish well. He actually uses a word saying, let that my joy be in them and that joy be complete. Part of having our joy be complete is moving beyond self-preservation into something more kingdom transformative. And Jesus is praying for that for you and me. He's praying that we would be full of joy as we let go of self-preservation and live in the power of God's transformational heart. And finally, Jesus prays that we would be sent into the world as a healing and illuminating agent. Elsewhere, he uses words like salt and light. Salt preserves, light illuminates. See, what Jesus is saying is that we have to ultimately learn to listen and grow so that when we're sent into the world, we're sent as a certain kind of people, that we have a particular nature about us. And today it comforts my heart to know that Jesus is praying for me because my heart, like your heart, is broken. And so Jesus Christ, pray for us sinners forgive us, heal us. Here's what we're going to do now. Marty's going to lead us in a song and then he's going to lead us through a lament. And as I've said about noticing things that are hard and unsettling, lament is something we're not very good at as Western people. And so today is going to be an invitation right in your living room or wherever it is that you are watching this to sing, and then to pray lament. And Marty's gonna walk us through three movements of lament. And we're gonna do this together. And I would encourage you, please hang in there because at the very end of this service, after a few more minutes, we're gonna end with a beautiful and powerful song that I think is going to speak to your soul in a way that I know has uh, been transformative for my own soul. So let's stick together just for a few more minutes. Marty. Teach me to pray, not just words, not what to say, but my heart and where it should lay. Oh Lord, teach me to pray. Teach 
me to pray Not just words Not what to say But my heart And where it should lay Oh Lord Teach me to pray Yes Lord God that is our prayer God, that you would give us grace, that you would enable us to know how to pray in these moments. Church, the book of Psalms has been the prayer book for a long time for the church, for the people of God. And two-thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, Psalms of grief, where the psalmist pours out pain and sorrow before the Lord. These psalms give us permission to express our raw and unfiltered emotions. And yet we tend to be reserved. We tend to not want to do that. It can feel uncomfortable. But as Chris said, that anger is the guardian of sadness, the guardian of fear and of grief. We need to be able to sit with our grief, with our sorrow. So we're going to take a moment here and we're going to follow the model of the psalms. And the Psalms tend to follow three simple movements. They follow a complaint. The Psalmist pours out his heart to say, God, this is, this is what's amiss. This is what is not right. Things are not as they should be. And then we're gonna move to request and say, Lord, would you move? Would you act? And finally, the Psalmist will teach us to turn to trust, to trust in who God is, to trust in his character and his goodness. So let's, let's take the next few moments. Let's press into these feelings. Let's press into the confusion, the chaos that we feel. And so I encourage you to now offer a complaint to the Lord. Let's move into the second movement of these laments, which is to offer a request to the Lord. In Psalm 10, the psalmist begins and says, where are you, God? The wicked are persecuting the poor. And then the psalmist says, would you arise? Would you lift up your hand? Would you remember the afflicted? So God, would you come and would you help? Would you have mercy? Let's pray our request to God.
Jesus, have mercy. into the final portion of the model of lament, which is to remind ourselves of who God is and to place our trust in his care. Habakkuk 2.20 reminds us, it says, that God is in his holy habitation. And so, Lord, we remember that you are sovereign, that you're at the helm of all creation. We place our trust in you, not in our own abilities, not in our own resources, but in you alone. We trust in you, Jesus. you to help us learn how to lament. God, I pray that this week as we walk through the valley of death's shadow, God, and that's, that's truly where we are right now. Teach us, God, to offer complaint and make requests and to move toward trust. God, that's probably what the biblical writers were thinking of when they said, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Help us, Lord, to learn how to grieve as we hold on to hope. 
God, I believe that one of the biggest invitations in front of us right now is to grieve and hope for a tomorrow where you bring healing. So we ask you to do that for us. We ask you to do that for our city. We ask God for healing and reconciliation among black and white, Latino and Asian. God, we ask you to come and do the work that only you can do. But Lord, today we simply accept that our job is to notice, our job is to stop, our job is to listen. So help us to do that, God, as the church. Amen. We wanna give you tools to learn how to lament. If you go to our website, atltrinity.org, and specifically on the West Side's website, there's a spiritual practices button halfway down. And this week we have two laments uh, that we wanna give to you as a tool to learn how to pray this in your home or with your family or friends, to learn how to grieve. Y'all, it takes practice to bear the burden of something that feels unsettling and worrying. We pray that you would do that with us. Here's where we're gonna leave it today. Dee Wilson, a worship leader in the Chicago area, uh, we came across this song just a couple of days ago and have connected with him and got his permission to uh, have this song led by him at the end of our service close us out. And so we're gonna say goodbye to you here and then we're gonna let Dee lead us into the presence of God as we go out from this place. And I pray that as you let the words that Dee sings wash over your soul, that you would remember that on this Pentecost day, the Holy Spirit is working and we are the church. God bless you. Go in peace. D. There's a sickness here that threatens to divide us And we're all afraid to say its name out loud Lord, I know that you can heal us of this virus So we need you, we need you right now And there's a darkness here that's dangerous and aggressive And it gets harder every day to shake its power but Lord, I know that you can free us from oppression. So we need you, we need you right now. Cause we don't know what to do. So we turn our eyes to you. And we've run out of words to say. But if you come and have your way, you can save us from ourselves Before our wounds hurt someone else We need you now What does it mean to have compassion for another? How can I claim the love of God that I can't see? If I can find the will to harm and kill my brother Cause he neglected to look like me and I can speak the words of men and songs of angels I can give all my possessions to the poor But if your love can't move the mountain of my hatred Somehow I missed you And I need you 
so much more Because I don't know what to do So I'll turn my eyes to you And I've run out of words to say You can come and have your way You can save me from myself Before my wounds hurt someone else I need you We don't know what to do So we turn our eyes to you We've run out of words to say So you can come and have your way Won't you save us from ourselves Before our wounds hurt someone else We need you now We need you now we need you now. We need you now. We need you now. We need you now, Lord. We need you now. We need you now. We need you now. be better so we need you now 